Welcome to uh, GNCC Dirt Bike Church. Hey, I'm Chuck Leemaster with Team Faith, and it's a pleasure to be here with you guys tonight. And thanks for taking time out to come uh, to such a beautiful place. And man, this has uh, been a great day. Kind of makes me, I don't know, sometimes on days like this and beauty like this, you just feel closer to God. And uh, what, what better place to have church at than, than this place right here. So, Lord, thanks a lot for today. Thanks for being, bringing us to this place, and just thanks for being our God. I pray that you will um, well, just open my mouth to say the words that you would have to say. Draw all of us closer to yourself. Show us your ways, show us your love, and show us how to share that love with the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I am on Facebook, as I'm sure most of you are, and uh, so I get to see some of the things that, that get circulated around from time to time. And here recently, it seems, there's a, uh, there's a video clip that keeps getting passed around on Facebook, I've noticed, the last couple of weeks. And, uh, and, and I watched it, and it's a video clip from a football movie. And um, the, the, the kids are sitting on the sideline, obviously it's practice, and the kids are sitting there, and uh, they're all sweaty, just taking a little break during football practice, and they get to talking about Friday night's game. And the collective, well, they're, they're not very confident about Friday night's game. And uh, one of them even says, yeah, I don't think that we're going to win. And the coach says, is that what you believe? And uh, he says, stand up, come over here. I think the kid's name was Brock. Brock, come over here. He gets another kid, you come over here too. He says, now, Brock, how far can you do the death crawl, the bear crawl? He says, I, I, you know, I can do it for 30 yards. He said, I think you can do it with 50, for 50 yards. He's like, not with him on my back. He's like, I think, I think you can, but even if you can't, you're going to try, and you're going to give me your very best. Have you seen this clip? Yes, sir. You're going to give me your very best. And you know what the movie is, right? Facing the Giants. He says, you're going to give me your very best. Puts the kid on the, on the back. And one more thing, you're going to get the blindfold. He's like, well, what do I need the blindfold for? Because I don't want you quitting when you could go farther just because you reach a mark. And then the coach gets out there and he pushes him. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. And the kid finally collapses in a heap. He says, I can't go anymore. He says, look up, Brock. You're in the end zone. You didn't go 50 yards. You went 100 yards. And it's a really inspiring clip and, and uh, you know, brings tears to my eyes and kind of motivates you. Like, yeah, I can go out there. I can do this thing. Whatever this thing is, I can face this giant. That movie came out almost 10 years to the day from today. It came out uh, September 29th, 2006, 10 years ago. That movie, you might know, was produced by a church, little church down in Georgia. Uh, matter of fact, the name of the church was Sherwood Baptist Church in Albany, Georgia. Um, actually, it's not a very small church. It was founded in 1955, and it grew almost immediately. It grew, it had good leadership, and, and this church congregation, as they grew, they built a big sanctuary. They built this family life center. In the 1980s, they added a Christian school, kindergarten through 12th grade. In the 90s, they added a seminary. And uh, they have about 2,000 people that come to this church. Even back in 2000, before they had ever done a movie, they still had about 2,000 people coming, which to me is a big church, because I grew up in a little church, you know, congregation about the size of what we got right here. 2,000 people sounds big, but in today's mega church, they say, well, that falls on the low end of the scale, but whatever. This church has about uh, 12 pastors, associate pastors, senior associate pastors, senior pastor. I mean, they, they got this whole structure. Got about 12 pastors. One of their associate pastors, about 2000, 2001, a guy named um, Alex, uh, Alex Kendrick, actually. Alex Kendrick was one of the associate pastors. And uh, the main pastor said, uh, what is it that you want to do? And Alex said, I want to make Christian movies. So I guess I probably can't be on staff and do that. 
And the senior pastor said, well, I don't see why not. What is it that you want to do? And so Facing the Giants actually wasn't the first movie that this church had produced. They also made a movie named Flywheel. It came out in 2002, I think it did. And, uh, or actually it was in 2003. And uh, they had a budget. They actually went to their church congregation and said, we're going to make a movie. We don't know anything about making a movie, but we're going to make a movie. And we need to raise $20,000 to make this movie. The congregation pitched in their money, and they made their first movie called Flywheel. It was released in the box office, and it grossed about $37,000. And we're talking small numbers here, but $20,000 to $37,000, hey, they made money off of that, and it was a success. Since that time, Flywheel has been on Netflix and DVD, but you don't count those sales for box office sales. So 10 years ago, 2006, Facing the Giants comes out and immediately received a lot of criticism. Number one, there's not a single professional actor in the movie. Number two, well, they didn't even have two cameras to film this thing. They filmed it all on one camera. And uh, it's, you know, it's this little podunk thing, no, no professional acting. And furthermore, it's got religious themes to it. And so it was given a PG rating, which just sent all kinds of controversy through, throughout the uh, throughout the internet. Matter of fact, because of this controversy of getting a PG rating, Facing the Giants, the movie was talked about in the New York Times, was talked about on Good Morning America, talked about on Fox News Morning Show, and so it actually got a lot of press before it even released. But the biggest criticism for Facing the Giants actually came from other churches. They saw the, they, they got to preview the movie, they got to hear about what this movie was all about, and they were like, oh, God doesn't work that way. There are too many miracles in this movie. That's just not realistic for the way that God works. The uh, the main actor, the, the pastor that wanted to make the movie, actually became the main actor in the movie, the coach that you get to see in that video clip. He's the coach, and he was interviewed. And here's an interview from 10 years ago before this movie was, was doing anything. Alex Kendrick in the interview, he says, What I struggled with was every, every simple move of God in the movie was stuff that we had seen in our church and in our community. In other words, he says, We've really seen a team that was 0-3 and and they made it in the state championship. We've really seen a kid kick a 51-yard field goal. We've really seen a couple that struggle with infertility and were told by their doctor that it's impossible for you to have children. And after praying, they really had their own biological children. He says, as a matter of fact, we even know a coach who was given a car by the school because they appreciated him so much and he needed one. And so all those elements in the movie that we have seen, we saw them in real life. I don't know why some Christians say it's not realistic. I don't know any miracle that is realistic. In other words, aren't miracles supposed to be unrealistic? Kind of what makes them miracles, right? Alex goes on in the interview, and he points out that the coach, his wife, and other characters get to the point where they say, if we win, we will praise you, and if we lose, we will praise you. And he said that is the critical point of the movie. That's what we're trying to get across in this movie. No matter what the end result is, God is worthy of our worship is what he added. He said that for some reason people overlooked that. We're certainly not saying that if you live for God that everything turns out roses because obviously that doesn't even happen in Scripture. So the whole point was to get the word out that God is good and he is worthy of our worship no matter if things are good, if things are bad. He said, did you want to reach a Christian audience with that or did you want to reach a non-church audience with that? He's like, I don't know. We just did what God told us to do, and it seems to be affecting both parties. It seems to be affecting people all over the place. Matter of fact, that uh, that that cost a hundred thousand dollars to make this movie. The box office ten point two five million dollars, over a hundred times the rate of return. 
Hollywood is kicking themselves all over the place trying to get a two times rate of return. 100 times rate of return on Facing the Giants in 2006. This same church went on to do a few other movies you might have heard of. They did Fireproof in 2008. Their budget was $500,000. Knows how the budget keeps going up. They, they make some money. They, they keep trying to get better and better. $500,000 at, at the box office, $33.5 million it brought in in sales at the box office. Courageous in 2011, a budget of $2 million. At the box office, $34.5 million, 17 times rate of return. Just put that in, in perspective. Star Wars, that just released last year, 2015, it cost them $300 million to make Star Wars. All right, huge budget. And it grossed $2 billion, which is phenomenal. That's a lot of money. I can't even count the number of zeros. But the rate of return is 6.5 to 1 rate of return. This church is getting 20, 30, 100 times rate of return on their movies. And I think it's because this country is hungry for a God who can face the giants. I really like that movie, and I like the theme of it, Facing the Giants. And as I see that this church has continued to go forward and do their movies, matter of fact, Alex and his brother Stephen, they did one more movie on their own, not with the church, but uh, it, that came out War Room last year, grossed like 70-some million dollars at the box office, and then it went on to DVD and video sales. This, this nation is hungry for a God who can face down the giants. So I want to look at that with you tonight. Joshua 1.9 This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Makes a nice plaque. We can write that out in calligraphy, put it on the wall. It looks really nice right there. But what does it actually mean? Be strong and courageous. This was spoken to uh, Joshua. Um, and, and it's in the first chapter of Joshua and it's only the ninth verse. The thing is, by the time you get to, to Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, this is the third time that God is speaking to Joshua and telling him, be strong and be courageous. So you got to look at the backstory to this. Who's Joshua? Well, he's the leader of the nation of Israel getting ready to take over the promised land. So real quick, not the 30,000 foot view, but the satellite view of the earth. Real quick fly over here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Adam and Eve, everything is good. But then sin enters the world, and everything turns bad. And God says, I'm going to hit the reset button, and there's the flood. And, and it starts all over again with Noah and Noah's family. Everything is good, but then it's really bad really quick. And so finally God comes to a guy named Abraham, and he says, Abraham, this isn't working so far the way we're doing it. I'm going to do a thing with you, Abraham. I'm going to reveal myself to the whole world. I'm going to use you to do it. With you, I'm going to make a great nation with lots of people, land, and through you, the whole world's going to be blessed. It's called the Abrahamic Covenant. Not to get too technical, but this was God's promise to a guy named Abraham. So sure enough, Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons, which become the 12 tribes of Israel. But before their 12 tribes, they're just a family of about 80 people. There's a famine in the land, and so they move to the land of Egypt, where one of Jacob's sons already lives, Joseph. The amazing story of Joseph. If you've never read about Joseph, you have to go back to the book of Genesis. It's, it's bizarre and phenomenal what God does. Joseph, one of the twelve, is already in Egypt, saves his whole family from famine. They move to Egypt because Joseph is there and he provides for them. First promise. Abraham, you're going to have uh, many descendants. Eighty is a lot, 
but it's not the it's not a nation. You fast forward this story 400 years, the many turned into a whole lot, the hundreds upon hundreds of thousands, uncountable. And the Egyptians look at it and say, oh my goodness, these Israelites, if they knew how many they were, if they knew how strong and how powerful they were, they could rise up against us and they could conquer us. We, therefore, we will put them into slavery and we will use them. We will rule over them. So the first part of the promise is done. Lots of people, but there's no land. Instead, they're enslaved in Egypt. And so God raises up Moses. He says, Moses, go to Pharaoh, tell him to let my people go. So Moses goes to Pharaoh, says, let my people go. Pharaoh's like, no way. <laughs> says, we got a minimum wage here in Egypt. It is zero, and you guys are it. I need another pyramid. So Moses says, Pharaoh, that's a bad idea, because God's going to send some plagues on you. Ends up sending ten plagues. There's, uh, there's, uh, there's water to blood. There's frogs, lice, and flies. The livestock dies. That somehow rhymes. Boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and even death. Finally, after all ten of these plagues, Pharaoh's like, get out of here. And so Moses leads the people. He's leading them out. They're going to finally go get the second part of that covenant, land. They're going to go, to go to the promised land. But first of all, they're faced with the Red Sea. And Pharaoh changes his mind and says, man, what have I done? Lost the free labor pool. Go get them, guys. Assembles his entire army and chases after the Israelites. And the Israelites are stuck between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army. And then God says to, to Moses, says, stretch out your staff and go through the Red Sea. Moses stretches out his staff. The Red Sea parts. The Israelites walk through on dry ground. They get to the other side. The Egyptian army arrives at the other side. The Egyptian army looks over and says, Wow, if they can do it, we can do it too. A couple years ago in Florida, I'm not that great of a racer. I like to think I am, but I'm not really. I got lapped by Charlie Mullins right at the swamp. He hydroplaned across the water. I was like, that is so cool. If he can do it, I can do it too. And so I charged in there, and friends, I'm telling you, the Red Sea just crushed over me just like it did on Pharaoh. And no lie, there were gators in that swamp, I swear. <laughs> and so the Red Sea crashes down on the Egyptian army, and the Egyptian army is no more. And Israel is free, free indeed. And they go on to the Promised Land. And they get to the Jordan River, and they are looking over the Promised Land, and they see that this is what God is giving you. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. However, there's one little snag here. You've got a part in it. There's some work that needs to be done. You're going to have to drive out the inhabitants of this land. Oh, that is so unfair. That God. Man, he's God. All right, this is God's story. And I can't speak on his behalf. I just know that he knows more about eternity than I do. And he sees the big picture. And he says, guys, this is your land. You're going to have to work for it. Drive out. Drive out the Amalekites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Termites, and the Parasites. Get them all. They're in there. Numbers chapter 13. It says, go and take charge of the land. So the first thing that you do when you're going into battle, I was in the army, I was in the infantry. We, you know, we were the ones that were going to swing the swords and shoot the guns and all that stuff. We were going to do the battle. But before you get to the battle, what do you do? You scout it out. Of course, today we got satellites and we got espionage and we got the CIA. We know, we, we know a lot about what we're getting into, but we still have the scouts. And so God says to Moses, who's still the, the leader of this nation at this time, they just came across the Red Sea, and says, get you... Get you the strongest man from every one of the 12 tribes. Get the best warrior and send them over the river. Go spy out the land and see what it's going to take in order for you to capture this land. And so Moses goes ahead and he gets with the, uh, the 12 tribes. He says, give me your best warrior. Gets 12 spies. 
It says, go over into the land, the land flowing with milk and honey, go spy out its cities, see its fortifications, and give us a report on what it's going to take to conquer the land over there. And oh, by the way, bring back some fruit, which is kind of a weird thing to ask for. Like, you guys go spy out and figure out the military strategy, and bring back some fruit, too. Because we heard that this is a land flowing with milk and honey, and we want to see it with our own eyes. And so Numbers chapter 13, verse uh, 23, says that uh, when the spies were coming back over across the Jordan River, they brought with them a single cluster of grapes, which, you know, you can go to the grocery store, you buy a single cluster of grapes, right? The single cluster of grapes, they had to get a pole, they had to cut a pole down, stretch it between two men, and tie that one single cluster of grapes between two men on a pole. And they bring it back across the Jordan River. They get the whole congregation, the whole country is out in front of these 12 spies. And they give their report. And this is Numbers chapter 13, verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron, to all the people, and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, We came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. Plus, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Anak was legendary at that time as being a giant and a ferocious fighter. And his descendants were living in the land. Giants lived in the land. Caleb, he's the spy from the tribe of Judah. He jumps up and says, never mind that, let's go. We can do this thing. But before he even finishes talking, he is cut off. And the other 11 spies cut him off and they say, we are not able to go up against the people. They are stronger than we are. This land devours its inhabitants and the people we saw in it are of a great height. They're giants. We are like grasshoppers. Now what do we know about giants? Well, because we watched the movie, we know that God can take down giants, right? They didn't have the movie back then. They thought giants were going to be the end of them. You know, it's interesting because they saw the 12 plagues. They saw the flies, the livestock dying. They, they saw all the 12 plagues. They saw the Red Sea get parted. And then they get to this point and they're afraid of some giants? We're like, come on! <laughs> but most of us, I would say, sitting here in the sound of my voice, have accepted at some point in our life we have said, Jesus is Lord. At some point we would say that I am now a Christian because I believe in Jesus. Whoever believes in Him will not die, but have everlasting life. Right? It's the worst thing that could ever happen to you. You could die. <laughs> but I have everlasting life. I believed on Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I know my eternity is secure. But what do I do with those giants that I face in my life? God says, God says tithe, but I'm broke. God says, give? <laughs> this is all I got. To that homeless guy, he's going to spend it on beer. What about this? Some of our giants are so little, and yet we hold on to them so tightly. Witness to my boss? That's who gives me the money so I can tithe. Go on a mission trip? God, I don't think I, I think I hear my mom calling. Giants in our life. Marriage? Yeah, that's sometimes that's a big giant. Singleness? Seems a big giant when you're single. And we have these giants in our life that we say, well, God can't, or God won't, or I don't think he can. But here's the biggest problem. Here's the biggest fright for any of us sitting right here. The worst thing that we can say is, no, I'm uncomfortable. God wants me to what? Go to Kenya? 
God wants me to say that to who? No, I'm comfortable. I'm good. I'm very, I'm very secure sitting right here. You know, my life has got it going on. I can do a little bit of church on Sunday or a little bit of church on Saturday night at the racetrack. I'm comfortable. I've got it, God. Don't need you. Most dangerous thing we can say. Back to our story. The people say, we're like grasshoppers. The, the 11 spies say, we're like grasshoppers. We can't do it. Numbers chapter 14, verse 1. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept all night long. Just like what's going to happen in November at this election in this country. People are going to weep all night long. And I say that joking, but I hear it all the time. It's like, oh no, if that person wins, there is no hope for America. And God we trust is going to come off the money, and then I can't be a Christian anymore. Friends, that doesn't have anything to do with being a Christian. You know, uh, to, put it, to put it bluntly, I'll just be honest, 99% of church people, probably 99% of the people sitting right here tonight, we're going to vote on this one candidate. He's got funny hair and orange skin. Might as well call him Alf. <laughs> You'd have to be a child of the 80s to remember that, that show. But good old Alf, you know, if Alf doesn't win, this nation going to hell in a handbasket. There's nothing we can do about it. You know, read the Gospels. Just go back and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and understand the context of the Gospels. When Jesus was on this earth, Rome ruled Israel. Rome ruled the known world. And they were a thousand times worse than taking, in God we trust, off of our money, taking down the Ten Commandments off of our buildings. Rome was evil. Rome was despicable, ruled with an iron fist. And so when Jesus came on the scene, everybody was like, so are you now going to set us free from Rome? And Jesus is like, I am a, I have a kingdom, and it is not of this world. Matter of fact, that's what ultimately got Jesus tried and convicted and sentenced to death. The chief priests trumped up charges against Jesus. They bring him before Pilate, and they say, he says he's a king. And Pilate says, is this true? Jesus says, it is as you say, but my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate returns and says, I find no fault in this man. In other words... This man is not a threat to Rome. That's what those charges were all about, was that Jesus is going to incite a riot and he's going to try and overthrow the Roman government. And Pilate says, no, he isn't. Don't know if Pilate thought he was crazy or what, but didn't think he was guilty. And says, uh, and, and says that, uh, you know, I'll let him go because he's no threat to Rome. And the people are like, no, crucify him. So Jesus is crucified. And here we are in America, and we're facing, I think, a similar thing. We're so worried, and we should be worried, rightly worried. We should be praying. But remember, my hope, my hope is not in the White House. It never was, and it never will be. My hope is in Jesus Christ. And we have to hold on to that, because if you're going to face a giant, this election is the giant that most Christians are facing right now. If you're going to face a giant, and you're going to conquer a giant, you have to know the God who defeats giants. They grumbled and said, Oh, that we had died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who spied out the land. Joshua, by the way, was not one of the, one of the tribes. He was not a representative of a tribe. He was the leader of the expedition. So the leader and one of the spies stand up. They tore their clothes and they said to the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. 
If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us to this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread. They are but bread for us. We will eat them alive, in other words. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. I'm like, amen. Preach it, Joshua. He's on it now, you know, but instead of an amen, the people want to kill him. Want to kill him and Joshua. Or kill him and Caleb. God saves them. God delivers Joshua and Caleb. And then God comes and he says this to the people. He says, look it. None of you, except for these two right here, Joshua and Caleb, the rest of you are never going to see the promised land. If you're 20 years old or older, you are going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until you die. And your children can cross the Jordan River and they can take the promised land. So if you've ever heard of the wandering in the, in the wilderness... You've ever heard of the Israelites wandering around in this desert? That's what it was all about. It's because when they went to spy out the land, they said, there are giants and we can't defeat giants. And never mind that God is on our side. Never mind that God told us to do it. We'd be comfortable not doing it. So we're not going to do it. God says, fine, have it your way. You stay in this wilderness and you wander around until you die. And then, then we come, 40 years later, we come to Joshua chapter 1. And God's having a little sit-down with Joshua. He says, be strong and courageous. He says, you're going to go over there, and anywhere that your foot touches is going to be the promised land. And it is still a land flowing with milk and honey. Be strong and courageous. Third time, Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, be strong and courageous. Do not fear nor be discouraged, for I am the Lord your God, and I am with you wherever you go. You see, it's, it's not easy following God. It seems like it's a, a countercultural thing because he calls on us and asks us to do some strange things. He asks us to do some, some things that uh, are unconventional, I guess you'd say. The first thing that Joshua had to do was lead the people across the Jordan River and into the Promised Land. Before they could even start fighting, they had to get into it. The problem was it was springtime. The Jordan River was swollen with the spring rains and it was at flood stage. Well, how do you get across? Today, you just call up the Corps of Engineers and you lay a bridge and you walk across on dry land. It's not how it was back then. You wait until the waters recede. And then you start building your bridges. At flood stage, who's going to cross the Jordan River? Nobody. Except God says, now's the time to go. Get your priests to lead everybody over. Everybody's going. Not just the army. The women, the children, the priests. Everybody's going and the priests are going to lead this expedition. So Joshua, get that uh, Ark of the Covenant. Put it on the priest's shoulders and tell the priest to march into the water. <laughs> These are the children of the people who said, we ain't going to do that. And the children said, I think we better do that. They put the Ark of the Covenant on and the priests walk into that water and the water stops. The whole country crosses the Jordan River on dry ground. The priests walk across, they come out of the water, the water flows. Wow, that's cool. Now they have to start conquering the land. So when you're ready to conquer a land... You start fighting, right? You start getting your battle strategy together, except God, who is countercultural and always has the big picture view, always knows what he's up to, and we get to be a part of that story if we're willing, says that's not the way you're going to do it this time. You're going to go to Jericho, and you're going to march around that city in complete silence once a day for seven days. On the seventh day, you're going to walk around it seven times. At the end of seven times, the priests are going to, to, uh, to blow their trumpets and their horns, and everybody's going to shout with a loud voice. What's going to happen? I'm not telling you what's going to happen. You're going to march around that city once a day for seven days on the seventh day, seven times. People do that. 
When they shout, the walls come crumbling down. And they march in, and they have victory. And they start taking over the promised land. You see, God's way is not our way. He even says so. He says, my ways are not your ways, neither are my thoughts for, or yours. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts above yours. Thus saith the Lord. When you want to take down a giant, you won't do it on your own power. You're not going to do it in a conventional way either. The only way that you take down a giant is when you give yourself fully and wholeheartedly to God and say, all right, this doesn't make any sense, but I'll do it your way. You know, Jesus, when he was talking about that kingdom, he kept saying that that, that, uh, I am a king. My kingdom's not of this world. Well, it says, I find no fault in this man. It was just a few hours before that that Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples. And he's giving them what he knew was his last speech. The disciples didn't know it at the time. But finally, towards the end of his conversation in that upper room, Jesus says, Take heart, for I have overcome the world. In this world you will have trials and tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And at this point, I can only imagine the disciples are like, Yes! We're finally going to take down Rome. That election in November, it's going to be our way. Yes! A matter of hours, Jesus was dead. Take heart, I've overcome the world. The world overcame him. He was dead. It's the worst thing that can happen to you, right? It's the ultimate end all of everything. But of course we know, because we're on this side of history, we know that Jesus didn't stay dead. Because what happened on the third day? He conquered death. He came back, the tomb was empty. And I love that. Matter of fact, there's a there's a, a Christian music singing group, Third Day. I love that. I love the group Third Day. Uh, a little bit of their story is I believe that they're sincere, and I believe that they were, have written from personal experiences and from the heart. And God has used their mi- music to minister to me. It was uh, it was in 2006 when I hit my knees and said, "All right, God, I am all in. If I'm going to face the giants, I'm going to do it your way." I've been trying to fight the giants on my own, and it ain't working. I was sitting, I remember sitting in my car, and I was so desperate for something, anything, even God. <laughs> I had Christian radio on, and Third Day came on, Cry Out to Jesus. And that song just ministered to me, and God just broke my heart in that moment. So I really like Third Day. So speaking of Third Day, back to our uh, Facing the Giants example from the beginning of the message. Alex, uh, the, the actor in the movie, the producer of the movie, or director of the movie, rather. Alex Kendrick, in that interview that I was referring to, he told a cool little story. He says, while we were looking for permission to use a song in the movie by the group Third Day, we had to go to their record company, Provident Music Group. Provident asked to see the movie before they would give us permission, so we sent it, even though we didn't think they would like it because it was a church that made this movie, and we all know that churches can't make movies. And So obviously, Third Day's recording company isn't going to like this. But after seeing it, they loved the movie, and they sent it to their parent company, Sony. We didn't know that. We were just trying to get permission to use one song, and they came back and said, we like this movie so much that you can pick any song you want from our library. Then Sony called us and said, it may be a little on the religious side, but we would like to release that movie. Therefore, when you watch Facing the Giants and you watch the credits at the very end, it says, distributed by Samuel Goldwyn Films, Destination Films, which is a subsidiary of Sony Films. Because Sony brought their horsepower to this movie. This movie was pre-released at two film festivals in Boston and in New York, New York City. After the releasing of these two uh, of the films in each of these cities, 
284 people gave their lives to Christ at the screenings of these movies because Sony got involved. Who'd ever thought that a pastor of a church in Albany, Georgia, who thought that he'd have to give up his pastorship, said, well, I can't be a pastor if I'm going to pursue my, my passion to make films. Who'd have ever put that together but God? And since that movie's come out, thousands have been inspired and encouraged and countless people have given their lives to Christ. And yeah, you might watch it and think, ah, it might be a little cheesy. But man, when you understand the background of that, that every miracle that you see in that movie has actually happened in real life, we do serve a God of miracles. We do serve a God who conquers giants. God, thank you so much. I just pray that that your love rains down on us this weekend. Just give us the confidence that you love us. I pray that you will touch our hearts. I know that if if we are yours, if we're your children, then there's something that you're doing in our lives. There's something that you're calling us to that we're thinking, no way. And I just pray that the call will become stronger and deeper on our hearts and that it will move us into a place of complete and utter dependence on you. And that through us, you'll take down some serious giants. We love you. Love what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Um, Have a great race tomorrow. My name's Chuck. You're welcome to stop by anytime. Look forward to it.